Welcome to Mavericks, a pursuit podcast. Scaling a sales team is hard. Pursuit sources top sales talent for thousands of companies. We've seen firsthand the companies that are set up to win and the ones that are bound to fail. But recruiting is only a piece of the puzzle. In each episode, we speak to an industry expert specializing in a unique vertical within the sales motion who's walked the walk and successfully implemented a blueprint that has taken their sales team to the next level. Come get equipped, hear from the best, and level up your sales team. Hello, Pursuit family. Welcome to the Pursuit Mavericks podcast. Merry Christmas, as you can tell by my beautiful rendition of a tree right here. I guess this will be posted after Christmas, but I'm excited for the guests that we have uh, on the podcast today. Scott McCainley, who is a friend and someone who uh, we have partnered with in the past. He has built and scaled very successfully sales teams, and he has since gone out on his own and is working with early stage tech companies. Excited to bring you this conversation. Hopefully you take some stuff from it. Enjoy. Scott, would love to hear briefly describe what you've been doing, what the experience looks like. Obviously, we've our companies have worked together and, and work together presently. But um, yeah, give us a rundown. Uh, what I'm doing now is uh, basically consulting with early stage startups, mostly B2B SaaS companies. So I have a small consulting firm called SaaS Pros. Um, usually talking to founders in the like 500K to 10-ish million ARR range where they're trying to figure out how to build a replicable sales process and grow their team or train the reps that they already have and that kind of stuff. So it's been uh, a ton of fun to share what I have done in the past with them and, and help them skip some of the mistakes that uh, I already made and, and learned my lesson on. Uh, and in that, we I, I co-created the Fearless Method, which is sort of a discovery-based sales methodology. So again, specifically designed for B2B SaaS because that's kind of my background, but we focus uh, a lot on psychology and motivation in sales. So both from the rep side and from the prospect side. And the, the our tagline is we're trying to help reps fear less and close more. I like it. You yeah. and obviously we were uh, we were just talking before this started, but you talked about uh, just the maybe more traditional your cold calling, what the sales function looks like, um, and how it uh, what it looked like to be successful in the past, and then you have a lot of LinkedIn gurus, uh, if you will, that are just advocating against it. The function is dead. Based on your experience, I mean, you've you've done it successfully, and you're consulting with companies right now. What do you see? What's your take on that? Uh, yeah, it's been a longstanding thing too. Like this idea that cold calling is dead, or out, or cold outbound, or whatever outreach doesn't work anymore because there's too many people doing it, or something like that. And my new favorite one too, actually, is now that uh, it's dead because AI AI is going to take that over, <laughs> right? So I'll get to that in a second. That's a whole other. It's a whole other thing that I have I'm passionate about. But um, yeah, look how many unicorn companies and, and hundred million dollar valuation companies got that way with a giant team of SDRs cold calling and cold emailing and outreach on LinkedIn. Like it obviously works. Um, and then on a much smaller scale, there's infinitely more companies that, you know, got to, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50 million doing exactly that. It absolutely works. It's not glamorous. And so what I think is it's, um, it's like the diet pill. Like the diet pill is easy to sell, even though we all know that it doesn't work. It's easy to sell because it's this idea of like, oh, well, I just flip a switch and it works. Or I just take the pill and I lose weight. I don't have to put in the, the effort, the hard work to do it. 
cold outreach is the same thing. It's very easy to sell somebody on the idea of like, oh, just buy this automation tool um, or just follow my five-step, you know, TikTok influencer program and you won't have to cold call. That's easy for us to accept because we're afraid of putting in that level of work to build out, you know, a true outbound playbook. But the benefit is, again, using the diet pill analogy, it's like working out. It absolutely works. You know that if you eat less and go to the gym, you're going to get in shape. If you build a solid model and start doing the, the behaviors every day, the emails and the calls and the LinkedIn messaging and that kind of stuff, you're going to get demos, you're going to get leads, and you're going to start closing deals. Yeah. That's off topic. Speaking of, of diet pill, uh, this isn't my stance on the Ozempics of the world or not. I think it's great for some. Uh, <laughs> we, were, we were taking my seven-month-year-old daughter Mullins um, close to where we lived and there was a Christmas tree lighting and there was a Santa there and the Santa, the Santa looked like Ozempic Santa. I mean, the skinniest <laughs> Santa I've ever seen. That's I, I looked at my, my wife, I was like, this is not, it's ain't going to be Mullen's first Santa trip. Like we need, we need some like, yeah, we, we need a heavy set Santa to, for it to be. Well, you know, the, the, Ro- the Rock just posted a new campaign with a uh, shirtless Santa uh, that was uh, relatively I, in shape. <laughs> I, I have not seen it. That's funny. Maybe it was the same guy. <laughs> so you, um, I mean, you, you built this function at World Manager. Um, I'm curious because uh, company is headquartered in Australia. Yep. Um, what did that look like? Because you, uh, did you bring that function over here to, because you sold a lot to North America, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What, what did that, what did that look like? What did the experience look like? Uh, yeah. So I'll set the stage a little bit. So I was um, kind of an up and coming salesperson, sales leader at a different company and got a call um, from a startup in Sydney, Australia that was looking to expand into the US and they wanted somebody to lead that whole go to market function. Um, which sounds glamorous, but uh, to, to lead, it means you're the only employee. And so like, I'm the one doing the cold calls to start the whole motion and those yeah. kinds of things. But, um, I love it. yeah, yeah, look, it was, you get your hands dirty. Um, and so that, so that's what we did. So we started, um, you know, went to Australia, learned the product, learned, you know, what, what we have to sell in our customer base and that kind of stuff. And then we came, uh, back to Dallas and got to work building out ICPs and persona documents and then just starting to hit the phones, sending out emails. We had a, a, a nice, solid playbook that we followed. And honestly, what's funny is that was that was 2013. We exited in in 23 or 22, actually. Um, so almost a decade. That outbound playbook really didn't change that much, which is funny because because again, we see all this stuff about oh, call, you know, outbounds change and it doesn't work anymore, whatever. And I would say, yeah, I'm going to throw the challenge flag on that one because we didn't we we changed. The language that we use maybe or the examples or the, the mechanisms, the tech that we use on our side to find better, you know, contact info and those kinds of things. But the playbook was yeah. basically the same all the way through. And I'm doing it now with other startups and it works for them, too. Yeah. So I'm curious because getting to the AI conversation, we don't have to, to dig too deep here. But but as things are just the space is more crowded, uh, sure. you hear and and. and I get blown up, you get blown up with messages and emails here and there. Like what are, um, if, if AI is not going to completely take over the function, like what are some of the changes that you see need to take place specifically when, within that sales role as they're prospecting? Um, you may, may sure. mention some of the language needs to change or whatever it may be, but what do you see? 
Yeah, and I'm not saying that AI won't replace that function at some point, like because I, I understand the exponential growth of things like that. So it's it's certainly possible that it gets to that point. And in fact, I'd be surprised if it doesn't. Um, I'm just saying it's it's not today and it's not tomorrow, yeah. right? It might be next month or, or a couple of years down the track or something like that. But right now it's not there. And I've done a lot of demos with these um, AI tools to kind of see what they come up with when they're generating outbound playbooks. I was just on one yesterday, actually. Um, and, and so... I, th I think the way that I see it is, I, and I teach sales reps this. So we look at prospects as if they're carrying around a shield all the time and it's called the sales shield. And so as soon as that shield goes up, that means they know they're being sold to. They throw the shield up. The brain turns off. They're no longer listening to what you're saying contextually. They're, they're all they're doing is running through their mind thinking, how, how do I get out of this? Like what meeting am I about to walk into or whatever? What excuse yeah. can I use to, to get off the phone or to not respond to this email? In which case it would just be a delete, right? Um, and so when we're cold outbound prospecting, we have a tiny, tiny little window to get that shield down so that they actually listen to who we are and what we have to say. And, and then they can make a decision. Maybe this isn't a product for them, but at least they know what we do. So from the, the, what needs to change in outbound is it's just critical that in that first little sentence, whether it's on a cold call or it's in an email or a LinkedIn message, we have to use human language that sounds again, like it's not a bot, that it's not an AI you know, machine that, that's uh, pulling stuff and scraping the internet. Um, and then we have to use plain language to explain what we do. So most of the AI tools that I've seen, and really a lot of the sales teams that are humans that I've seen use um, you know, heavy, heavy buzzwordy explanations of what they do. Most of their email is about them, not the prospect. There's just these they they have this idea that they have to professionalify. I'm not sure that's a word. It's pro certainly it not, is now. But it is now. <laughs> it is now. They professionalify themselves uh, in outreach. And the good thing about now is that there's been so much of that that has been templated in the past, all the professional words and things like that, that now everybody doesn't see that as like, oh, this is a smart person. They see this as, oh, this is a template. Uh, so it's cool. Like, look, you can go back and talk normal. Talk the way you talk to your friends. That's what I have yeah. reps do when I'm training them is I say, I want you to tell me what your product does, like you're calling your college roommate and you're explaining to them what you're doing now. Don't explain it to me like I'm a prospect. Explain it to me like I'm a friend and you've got to dumb it down into, you know, the most common language you can think. Yeah. It makes it more fun that way too. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's fun. It's easy. It's, it's, I hate scripts. So I'm, I'm very anti scripts of any kind. Um, and so if you can get people into that mindset, of, of thinking of it that way. I'm just, I'm just trying to explain to another human what we do. Um, right. And it is, or it isn't a fit to, you know, to go on to the next step. Then it, it takes some of that pressure off of not having to feel like I have to use like these specific words and whatever. Now there's some founders that struggle to let their reps have that kind of freedom. <laughs> so right, that's a right. different conversation, but you know, you get the idea. Well, well scripts might, might play into this, but you talk about, you know, with what you're doing right now, rejecting the traditional or outdated, training uh, models, yeah. if you will. Uh, walk me through, uh, in your mind, what some of those traditional models are uh, and and how you differentiate yourself and how you go about it. This is the big thing. Um, for me, it starts at the very, very beginning of training a salesperson, and it is understanding what motivates them. Uh, and I think so few leaders ever do that, or that if they do it, they do it because it's a checklist and they're supposed to ask or something like that, but they don't really take an interest in what that person's doing. It's so important 
look, if you're Salesforce or, or, you know, Facebook meta, whatever, okay, fine. Maybe you don't have to do that. Cause they're so hyped to work at this big, you know, cool yeah. company or whatever. But if we are, um, you know, a million dollar a year company, we're trying to get to 15 or 20 and we're counting on these people to help us get there. They're trusting us as much as we're trusting them. Like this needs to be a relationship where we understand what they're there for. It doesn't mean that we cut them excess slack or that they don't have to perform. I mean, you know, they obviously do, but if we can really sit down and figure out like, okay, Jake, what are you, know, what are you here for? Uh, I want to make a bunch of money. Okay. Um, what's a bunch of money? You know, but, um, I don't know. I want to make 200 grand this year. Okay, cool. What, and what, just curious, hypothetically, what would you do with that? If you got, you know, 200 grand, how would you spend it? I want to know that level of detail. Like I want you to tell me I got, you know, $30,000 in, in credit card debt that I'm trying to pay off, or I'm trying to, you know, get this new car. Or I want to, you know, buy a, uh, a cool vacation for my family, or I want to get an engagement ring for my, you know, soon to be fiance, that kind of stuff. Those are the things where, if we can understand what's really motivating them, then the one-on-ones aren't all about, hey, did you hit this metric? Did you hit these calls? Did you send these emails? Have you booked this many demos or closed this many deals? It's starting with, how's that goal going? Okay, cool. Let's see how these metrics here can help you get to that thing that you're, you're chasing after. And it, it changes a lot. I mean, it really, really yeah. changes a lot in the way that they uh, perceive their, their value in the company. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and we talk a lot about that too as – um, you know, as we're going out there and, and talking to thousands of candidates a week, you know, making sure that there's alignment with roles that that we have on our side with what they're looking for, because yeah, 200 grand is great. And that could be the motivation and that uh, nothing wrong with that. But the opportunity we're, we're uh, presenting that there might not be a viable chance to hit that uh, year one and maybe not year two, um, depending sure. on the opportunity. And so. Um, you know, I think making sure that there's alignment in that as well um, is big and something that a lot of times, like you said, it's it's not made known on the front end and it, it crushes. No one wins in that situation. That person that takes that role is is not happy. The manager's frustrated at them. I yeah, mean, it's, just a, it's a tough situation to be in. Well, it's fun. It's fun, especially if you're talking like SDRs or entry level roles. It's fun to know why they come up with the number that they come up with. Right. Because <laughs> what I've learned is that a lot of times it's really just kind of pulled out of the hat or like a buddy made that much. So they want to make more than their buddy, you know, or something like that or, 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 you know, and so it's interesting because, because if it is a good opportunity for them, right? Like really ultimately, maybe you can't make 200 grand this year, but in three years you can, and you can get promoted two or three times if you go this route. Um, So if we can unpack like why they want to get there, what is that going to do for them? And then kind of what are your longer term goals? Then we can help sort of funnel them, them into the, into the right direction. Yeah. It's funny. When I, when I graduated college in 2013, I didn't know how much money I wanted to make. I didn't even know what kind I mean, yeah, I had no clue. I took a call from Oracle and I was like, yeah, 200 other people who are 22 go and work at the same company. Great. I was making 60 grand, went and bought a Lexus. Worst financial decision <laughs> I've probably ever made in my life. Got rid of my 97 Forerunner that I should still be driving to this day. I quickly learned. I now drive a Forerunner again. I'm back on it. But um, look, look, I did this. Yeah, I did the same thing early on, man. Except mine was an F-150 Platinum because I'm a Texan, so you know I had to be a truck. But uh, yeah, I did the same thing, and I sweated it out to make that truck payment every month <laughs> with my early uh, yeah. salary. But you know, I. I felt like I made it, but sometimes those are experiences that you like, I don't know. Those are lessons that you have to, to learn on your own. Sometimes it's easier yeah. to, 
to learn it that way than to listen to sage advice. <laughs> I, I didn't want to listen to the council. Uh, no, for, for sure. Um, yeah. Um, well, we, so we work with a lot of companies that are wanting to enter the U S market as well. Obviously yeah. you've, you've done that and your situation was maybe a little bit different because you all set up shop here, um, in Texas and really scaled that team pretty quickly. But what do you see? You talk a lot about building the right foundation. Um, what do you see as some of the, the weakest parts of the foundation when you have a company that's headquartered elsewhere overseas, they want to hire that first sales rep in the US um, and just kind of own the whole process. Um, what do you see yeah. as, as some of the challenges with that? I mean, I can speak from experience from the challenges that we face, right? Because yeah. we did, um, I mean, we did the best we could, right? But it, like, it, we learned a lot. Uh, so really thinking through what happens post acquisition of a customer is a really big deal. And people think like, oh, it's no big deal. Um, we'll have this person, you know, work late in whatever time zone they're in or whatever to do the onboarding or to handle support calls or whatever. And and I know for us, for sure, we underestimated how um, taxing that was going to be to, because once we started closing deals, it was like, oh crap, okay, well now we've got to do, and our, to be fair, our product was relatively customizable. So it was a, it was a decent like hands-on lift to get a customer implemented over a, a couple of month period. Um, and so you know, we had to fly people in from Australia, which is certainly not cheap and, and or easy. Um, and, you know, folks over there had to work at crazy hours and we had to ask our customers to be a little flexible. Like, hey, can you get on a call at 5 p.m. instead of 3 p.m.? You know, those kinds of things. Um, and so anyways, I, th I think, again, people probably underestimate how stressful that can be on the organization if you don't have a solid plan already. And then, you know, then you talk about support. So we fixed the customer success side. We ended up hiring, you know, customer success folks here um, in the office as well. But then we didn't have technical support. So our, our, you know, CX folks were great at getting the platform up and running and training and, and answering basic questions. But when there was technical issues, we still had to rely on Australia, which is 16 hour time zone differences. I mean, it's, it's significant. Um, so, so I think that's one of the big things that folks don't necessarily think think through to start. Yeah, makes sense. And then on that same theme, uh, you have a company, a, a startup company or a, an early stage company that's just building out their sales teams. And I know there, there's so many more details to this when you go in and do a full diagnostic of, of what the foundation looks like. Um, but, you know, we, we get a lot of, we work with a lot of companies where they are maybe technical founders um, they yeah. built a phenomenal product. They have the backing um, and now they want to or think they need to go hire three sales reps. Um, but they, there's no infrastructure essentially set, which is a tough environment for any yep. sales rep to get in and see success. And so um, what are maybe some of the first things that you look at um, when you are doing that diagnostic of an, an early stage tech company? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. And so um, this is something that I, I've touched on a lot. So first of all, I, this has happened so many times at so many startups where they're like, we're just going to go hire, uh, you know, a great salesperson with a ton of experience and they're going to kill it for us. They're going to blow it up. You know, we're going to, we're going to hit our goals. Uh, and so where do they look? Well, and I mean, you're on the recruiting side, so you know that, you know, Hey, go find me people that have worked at Oracle, Salesforce, you know, Microsoft, Meta, you know, whatever, um, or maybe some of the other kind of Valley unicorns, uh, cause they want that, that that startup spice to it. But um, the reality is those companies 
have so much structure in place already that that rep is not equipped to live and and uh, succeed in the startup environment, which requires so much more flexibility and kind of thinking for yourself. Um, and, and so that's the big like cautionary tale. And, and again, there's lots and lots of examples out there. If you start, you know, uh, searching different forums and things like that, you'll see plenty of folks that have made that exact mistake. In fact, a couple of companies I'm working with right now did the same thing. So now I'm in there helping build out, I don't know what I would call a startup sales team, which is really just um, a slightly different sort of personality type, I think, that that can thrive in that environment. Uh, so the biggest thing that I'm looking for is curiosity, always. I want somebody that's curious, that's a natural learner, that wants to figure out why things work the way that they work or didn't work um, because of the technique we used or something like that. I think people that are naturally like that generally just kind of want to tweak things and figure stuff out and experiment, and they're comfortable in that environment. That, that doesn't stress them out, whereas the person yeah. that's used to like, what are my numbers? What's my script? Um, you know, where's my lead list? Who does the the you know sales engineering side of, of doing the demos? I don't do that. You know that kind of stuff. It it, it is it is uh, a big big difference. Yeah, um, I love it. We uh, we like talking to those types of folks as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, Scott, man, I appreciate you hopping on. You know, it's been. It's been cool to see as we, uh, our companies work together at World Manager. We saw you doing yeah. it successfully there and what you were able to, to build and getting the opportunity to continue to, to work alongside you as you have now gone off and, and started your own thing and, and helping a lot of companies. So appreciate your time and, and walking us through some really important issues that a lot of companies go through, whether they realize it uh, or not. No, man, I, yeah, I, anytime. And you guys were an asset to us as well to help build the teams that we built and take a lot of burden off of me of, you know, scouring uh, resumes and, and, and doing a thousand phone interviews and stuff like that. Cause we did try it the, the, the all on our own way to start. Hey, mo uh, most people do. And some, and, and it, some do it successfully, but I, we did it averagely. <laughs> <laughs> But it got a lot, it got a lot better when we had y'all's help. So yeah, I appreciate that. Um, well, Scott, I appreciate you. Yeah, man. See ya.